This is the Creative Creative, a podcast of authentic discussion with industry pros. How about uh, just start with like a like a straightforward in, uh, introduction, who you are, kind of just like the elevator pitch, what do you do, and if people act like find you like on social media, if you've got any websites or handles that you want to promote or represent. So there is this, okay, so I had this meeting with somebody this week because I have actually a really hard time summing my, sum, myself up in one sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, because my job description varies so much from project to project and I met this wonderful woman in town who's a writer and so we sat down and I was like I just need that top line umbrella like that short pithy sentence that's like all encapsulating it I can't get to it because if there's a story that I have a hard time telling it's my own Right. I can tell other people's stories <laughs> with no problem and with all sorts of passion but when it comes to sort of selling myself I'm a sort of a shy, introverted personality. So I'm like, eat when it comes to actually being like, ta-da, here I am. Anyway, I want to go grab that sentence because yes. I want to use it because I feel like it's a really good... Yeah, go, go <laughs> grab your sentence. Go grab your sentence. Okay. I was so excited. She, she got it in like seven minutes. I was so impressed. Oh, nice. That's great. Okay. The line she wrote for me was, I tell stories and facilitate creative vision. Tell stories and facilitate creative vision. Right, because on some projects, on nonfiction projects, I'm very creatively involved. You know, mm-hmm. I'll field produce, I'll field direct, and I've been doing it since about 23 years of age. Now, when I work on a more of a feature or like a, a narrative of some sort, then I'm super onto sort of the business side of things. I'm mm-hmm. line producer. I'm working on logistics. I'm hiring crew, making sure it's happening in edit, just covering all kind of the the balls in the air. So I'm sort of facilitating somebody else's creative vision and supporting it and adding to it, I hope, but ultimately like, de- not deferring, but creatively, you know, having a conversation with a director and it's mm-hmm. a two-headed dragon on a, on a project, right? Um, whereas in documentary, I'm, I'm just, I've got way more experience. That's where I kind of started my career. And so on that kind of project, I'm, I'm very creatively confident. You're, you've got a seat at the table steering the show. Right. That's exactly. awesome. Do you see? Do you find that happens a lot? Where where uh, the the producer role on some things you're very hands on and you get a lot of decisions, and then sometimes you're like, well, I'm just I'm just kind of here for the ride and 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 executing. Um, ideally, I like to be very involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably will choose not to work with with a team that won't let me be creatively involved because I don't. I, I am great with the numbers and I'm great with the logistics, but I, it doesn't feed all the things that I want to be doing. And and if you go freelance, and I've been freelance for nine years, you know, you get to the point where you're like, if I don't enjoy working with somebody, I'm not going back. So like, you're not you're not really into that just like hired in and out kind of stuff. You've got you got to get excited about it. I'd like to get excited about yeah. it. I'd like to at least get excited about something about it, right? Even if it's not a great fantastic experience usually there's somebody on the team who's just like god it was so great to meet you and it was so great to work with you i want to work with you again or let's create something else there has to be something there some sort of some sort of meat or some sort of juice something that i can creatively um just kind of get on board with and enjoy that at least that part of it um i was telling a friend yesterday we were we were chatting about you know my production work in la versus my production work here because it has it's different um and in LA, I was predominantly doing like feature-length documentary work. You know, I was um, working with a lot of directors and 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 telling stories with uh, a lot of social value. And 
my projects now sort of run a whole gamut. Some of them are purely entertainment. Um, right now I'm working on a, a DIY network, you know, completely different yeah. kind of project. Um, so I sort of have this new standard in my brain that as long as one of my projects per year has some social value, might, might move the needle somehow in a positive way um, in the world, cross your fingers, then I'll feel like my, my soul is still getting fed. <laughs> per, per year, wait, wait, so how many projects per year do you do you work on? Is it is it a low number, is it a high number? It depends on the project. Um, you know, I've been on one project for, I've been on projects that were two years long, some Whoa, that are one year okay. long, some that are nine months long, some of them are four months long. Gosh, so, I, I'm, I'm accustomed to projects that sometimes can be as short as three days. Oh. So, so the turnover, <laughs> like, like that's what I'm just wondering is like if that yeah. cycle, sounds like that cycle is just a whole lot it's a, slower. Yeah, yeah, longer. Right. It's usually from like something that has just sort of either been sold to a network or a network, network is interested in buying and producing or something that the... You know, maybe um, a production company wants to pitch and they're doing like a proof of, of concept for mm-hmm. a network or, you know, in the case of LA where it was just like, you know, directors who had, you know, these these huge ideas and, and it was going to be, you know, years worth of work. So it's just a different. Did you start your career as a producer or is that something that you moved up through the ranks to, to, to reach that level? So my... My trajectory is a little bit different. I did not go to film school. I went to journalism school. Oh, right on. <laughs> so my undergraduate degrees in psychology, my graduate degrees in journalism, and I actually worked in television news for a year in Albuquerque in my very early 20s, and I was like, nope, this isn't for me. <laughs> and then did you so, go to L.A. after that? or did? No, I went back to Chicago. So I went to school for journalism in Chicago. I went to Northwestern, and I um, got hired onto um, a production team at an ABC affiliate in Albuquerque and went down to Albuquerque for about a year, and that's about all I needed. (laughs) (laughs) Local news was not for me. But what I learned from that was, um, you know, I was on the production side of it, that a minute 30, I was at the point I was a writer. I was writing news. And so I thought a minute 30 just is not sufficient. I I want more time. So I went back. And a minute to thirty was the format or the, the, yes. the segment length. Most news stories on television news on your afternoon, you know, afternoon, morning, or evening news broadcast are a minute thirty, ideally, unless it's some sort of special. And um, I moved back to Chicago, and I just started applying to production companies. I just started doing internet research and got on, thankfully, with a company there um, that had a lot of shows um, going through networks. So a lot of shows through National Geographic, Discovery Channel. Um, History Channel, you know all the A and E networks. Um, it was before before reality had hit. It was all sort of really documentary style TV, and it was the type of company for better or for worse that you could be really young and just thrown <laughs> in the deep end, like swim, <laughs> which is great because yeah. you learn all these skills really fast. Yeah, you know it's also challenging. You know, uh, and we were all really young, a, a company full of probably. 20 and early 30 year olds just sort of loving work and and loving each other because we became really good friends i mean there were a lot of people from that company who ended up getting married like oh yeah, wow yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Like, that's, that's close who we socialized with you went to work and then after work you went out with your your colleagues like that's we just sort of lived the job and so we turned out i would say probably on average per person you know Okay, I'll, I'll back up. I started there as an associate producer. I think I did a couple of shows for them as an associate producer and then was promoted to producer. So by then, that point, like, 
in, in the production world, shows were organized a little differently than they are, seem to be now. At that point, that company organized it where it was like, hey, you singular producer, we're giving you an AP, an associate producer, and here's some development work on a show. Go. Here's your budget. And that some development will be just kind of lumpy. It'll be whatever it's like they figured out in it's the a moment. It's jumping off. Yeah. yeah a, good, a good jumping off point, right? So it would be up to myself and the associate producer to, to you know, continue the research on it, really become fluent on the topic, go out and, and contact people and see if you'd be willing you know, to do interviews. Who are the right people to talk to us? Who do we want to speak to? Um, book those interviews. Book all the logistics. Book the crew. Go out. Field produce. Field direct. Get all the content. Come back and then sit in the edit bay with an editor and actually craft it in the in the edit bay. And and you know it goes down to the the post facility was in house. It was like mm-hmm. the floor below. So we'd go downstairs, <laughs> <laughs> and and everything was kind of like you know A to Z. And so it's been an adjustment for me now that everything is you're going to be just one piece of of that. You know sometimes I'm just the story producer or I'm just a field director, and that can be hard to be like. But I want to do the rest. You know? Yeah, 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 <laughs> so yeah. I want to be involved in all of it. So, because you get, you get connected to it, and and there's, you know, a love for it. Hopefully. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. You bring it up that way because I I, I find parallels in my own journey because with with video editing, it's it's been a role that's been collapsing and absorbing other things over the years. Mm-hmm. Not just because video editing is more of a skill than a job now, mm-hmm. uh, but like you have to take in motion graphic design, you have to be able to do sound design and all these other components of post production in a role. That's true. And it's hard because it, like on some point it's like I love all of it now because I've been exposed to all of it. But like you're you're seeing the pendulum swing back towards the specialist, where it's like, yeah, but I just want you to do one thing again. Right. It's like that's great, but it's like now, like I, yeah, it's it's kind of a weird pivot to kind of go through. It is. It's a, it's a strange thing, and I've I've actually articulated it to it sort of in post mortems as I'm leaving companies. Like, you know, there is this. I don't know if it's a bygone era. I don't know if it makes us, you know, dinosaurs of the industry. I'm not sure, but I, I if I'm going to story produce something, I would love to be in the field with it because then you just go into writing the script and and edit much faster, much easier. You know the content. You've got the context with the people that you're going to have to go back to and ask questions of. Um, anyway, just my preference. Yeah, no, I mean, I had been doing local commercial work for a couple of years. So, I mean, nothing very glamorous, you know, just small business stuff. But, um, yeah, it was like I went through through several arguments with creative directors. Nothing very heavy-handed, but it's just like if if we in the post-production can be up front during the strategy sessions. Oh, yeah. Because all this stuff is going out on social, so that technical acumen for yeah. how it gets published and being like, oh, if we think about this story and just chunk it just a little bit different, mm-hmm. this can this can have a bigger splash later. I think that's and, brilliant. Well, and now it's like, yeah, but you're just the editor, man. We've got other people to figure that out. It's like, so we got there, and now we've kind of come away from oh, it again. That's a bummer to hear because I actually think that, like, if you inform on your end what you need and how things could be shot, or at least supplement, not maybe not the whole meat of it, but you have a dialogue in that because at the end of the day, you're going to get all that footage. You're going to get all of that data and have to make something out of it. And if you need something, it gives you an opportunity to articulate what your needs are and and your creative input. I, yeah. I think, I don't know, I always welcome voices. I have a hard time with projects that stifle voices. I don't think that there can be a thing as too many cooks in the kitchen, but I don't think that there can be, you know, those are two, typically the people at the top of the heap, right, who were making the very top decisions about, like you said, a creative director. But in terms of the team who's actually creating the content mm-hmm. from, you know, development through through post, like, 
there's room for that dialogue to be like, hey, so I was working on this project and it was so great because they got a shot of this or they got this great little like soundbite that was just short, perfect little, give me some versions of mm-hmm, things, mm-hmm. get some versions of things out there just to like, facilitate the edit and give us options. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and that's the thing is that, that, that like I picked it up from my dad from who, who doesn't do media work, but he had a phrase from his kind of consulting stuff called for the good of the project. I was like, oh, I love that. Because like, even when you have like a hierarchy and etiquette for how decisions are being made, if that's a mindset that's prevalent, like just life is so much easier. Mm-hmm. If you're working for the good of the overall service of the project, then opposed to, you know, somebody who is feeling like, oh, well, you know, I went through so many personal politics to get this interview. It has to make it in. It's like, well, but if it's not good for the project, right. that was tough time you spent, but yeah. maybe it's not the smartest choice for the end result. It's a hard thing I've had. I've, to that point, I've had projects where promises had been made for booking interviews and people made it into cuts that shouldn't have really been there and, and the project suffered for it ultimately. Yeah, I've seen that in the commercial stuff too. Somebody, you know, a small business owner will will, will overextend themselves in favors and now mm-hmm. this thing has to be yeah. in it. Yeah. And maybe, maybe, and then it's like, well, okay, now we've just got this like lump in the project that we've got to work around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I agree. And I also understand that there are, sometimes you have to get you, sometimes you have to get people on board. Right? Oh yeah, it's not a it's not a perfect world of theory. I mean, it's no. it's reality and in, in, and not not in the format, but like you know, and the people that you're talking to and how things go down. Right, and also I think of creative creative um, projects as there is no right and wrong. Right, it's such a gray nebulous of creativity and like what you prefer something to be and what I prefer something to be and what you know, say Brooks prefers might be shades of different things that resonate equally or more powerfully to each of us. It's not such a black and white thing of it's right and wrong and let's go this. You can go so many different million directions creatively on stuff, which is sort of the fun and a big part of the challenge. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so with that, um, what does planning look like? You, you talk about how you would get like, uh, early on you get like this, uh, you know, documents to kind of run with and expound on as <laughs> it jumping off. I'm going to get some water. Do you want some water? Sure, sure. Sorry, yeah. I'm totally coughing. Or candid. Yeah, yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. So with, with all of this kind of stuff, I kind of went into that and just being like, okay, so like people care a lot less about some of the small bumps on it if we're not Marvel producing, you know? Well, I also feel like <laughs> packages, like things can look too slick. Mm-hmm. And when they look too slick, they feel inauthentic and ungenuine. And people are like, oh, I'm on to you, marketing. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's you. part of it. I think <laughs> yeah. I think we're, we're constantly looking for the sell and everything. So it's like if it feels a little unvarnished, mm-hmm. it makes it easier. Um, but yeah, so before the water, uh, it was, uh, you know, when, when, you're, when you're doing the producing work, um, how does that go from we have an idea to like those first steps of action? I mean, is it literally go, okay, I'm just going to like, how do I talk to people in cooking? Like whatever the subject <laughs> is, I mean, how, how do you proceduralize from the nothing to the something? Well, by the time you get the plan, you've already got the money. <laughs> so, okay. So, so we'll jump that hurdle and say, you know, the project is funded um, and now it's time to sort of execute, you know, there's obviously talks about what it will be, there's creative conversations about, you know, the front end of what we think this project's gonna be, and you try to get as close as you can to what it will be, and with a full understanding and, and flexibility that it will become maybe something close, right? Mm-hmm. N- not far, but maybe not exactly. Um, so then the planning becomes, um, 
I mean, all, all sorts of things. It can be, um, I mean, I guess part of the joy for me is, is, is I, like my, my prior statement is, is I like telling stories. And the first part of that is to just get on the phone and start talking to the people who are, the people who do that thing full time almost every day of their lives and are, would be considered, you know, expert level, even if they wouldn't claim expertise. Um, and and you, you sit on the phone for, for a while and you call each other back and you establish a relationship and you ask the questions and you hope that they're open to receiving you. And if they're not, can they recommend somebody who might be? And, um, and you just start reading and you start learning and you, you know, ideally write an outline for or a loose something for what it's going to be on paper because ultimately you're going to need ideally some sort of paper script. Um, which is, I guess, maybe my preference. That's where mm -hmm. I started out from J school. Um, and so it's just sort of putting all those kind of pieces of the story together while also putting together all of the logistical, like and, what and, are you going to need? And to the story's coming together while you're talking to the personalities that you'd like to be part of it. Maybe. I mean, at the first, I, at the first part, I think part of it is just even just chatting with people because not only am I getting content from those phone calls and doing the research from the people who are spending the time doing it daily and our expert level, not every expert belongs in a show, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so true. So people are extremely long-winded. They can't really, they're not really concise. They don't really, they're making sense, but not in the best way. Um, you sort of get a beat on how nervous someone might be, especially if you take the time to Skype them or do a Zoom interview or do something on camera. Ideally, you're actually locating each other while you chat. Mm -hmm. So you can sort of see what you're going to be working with when you get in the field. If you do an interview with them, how you can help them to give a good interview or if it's like, mm, no, maybe you're not the right person for the show, but you know, but you've given us so much content and we, you know, and research time. Thank you so much. Um, so it's it's being, you know, strategic. Yeah. Spending your time doing the homework, but also like you don't have forever, right? We're usually on a production schedule. I'm usually at the helm of that production schedule. So if I'm creatively involved in, in, involved in a project, I have to be aware of like how much time are we spending? Are we finding the right people? How quickly are we finding them? You know, it's a team. It's not just me. Mm -hmm, so. Mm -hmm. um, so ideally, we're able to kind of lock in to the right, the right, and I put quotes around that people for the, for the show or, or whatever project it is, uh, pretty easily, you know. Or maybe it's a casting. Maybe it's a casting. It's a completely like you know narrative, and it, and you're looking for the right people to play parts. You know, you're trying to get through that as quickly and efficiently as you can, while also just finding the the best people you think, to to bring that that paper script to life. Mm -hmm. So that would be the beginning, and then you know alongside that, adjacently is. You know, where do we need to go? How quickly do we need to get there? How many days do we need to be on the ground? Like, how do we stack our days that are efficient, doable, where people are so happy to be working? You know, we don't want to exhaust anybody. I'm really a stickler about, like, you give your, your, your crew a turnaround of 12. You, you know, every seventh day, sixth, seventh day, you take the day off. Like, mm -hmm. you, you don't run your crew into the ground. It's a profession, and, and we should treat it that way. Um... So it's just sort of figuring out the logistics, and it's it sort of like the second part is is sort of like a puzzle, piecing together the shoot itself. Um, you know, who's the DP that I that I want to be in the field with, that I feel brings something to the table, who's very confident in being that creative role alongside me in the field. Um, is the director going to be in the field? Yes or no? Um, what what does he need to be in the field to to feel confident and to feel that he's or she is doing best work um 
and I say he by default. Sorry, I've only worked with male directors. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> so... you know, it's it's funny because I didn't want to make it a thing, but I was wor- like when I was even doing this podcast, I was like, oh shit, I know like 90% guys. Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. There was a point in my life, in my career, and it just happened uh, probably about three years ago where I transitioned into a team that is 60-40, 60% women, 40% men on that team. And it was such a shift for me because all of my career had been so kind of male-dominated, especially in the field. Like, when I go out to field director, field produce, it's sometimes just I'm the only woman. And so on that particular project, it was for the Huffington Post, it was a project called the Zainab Salvi Project. And Zainab Salvi is a humanitarian. She uh, founded Women for Women International. And, and, and since then, she's, it still exists, and, and she's also an author and a speaker, a speaker and, and she does a lot of different projects. And, but she's particularly interested in the, in the role of women in the world. Mm-hmm. And so that project was um, really phenomenal because we traveled to a bunch of different countries, and we told stories of women who were kind of going against the grain and doing good work uh, against all odds. So, for example... One of those episodes was dedicated to um, a woman in Thailand who is a monk. And in Thailand, uh, that, that strain of Buddhism does not believe that a woman should be or is capable of being a monk. And so she left the country and she got ordained, came back to Thailand, and is now running a monastery of women monks, you know, sometimes under the duress of the government and, and the citizens. And she was lovely and wonderful and what a privilege to meet her, right? Now, another episode was going to India and, and filming with the first transgender mayor uh, of that country. So it was really interesting content. Yeah, I yeah. I felt like it was socially valuable. And, you know, I loved that team. I loved Zainab, clearly a woman. Two of the executive producers were women. Um, our camera department was male, but whatever, you know? Yeah, no, but that, I mean, just even seeing that much of a shift is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like... I, I came up 10 years ago starting in Chicago as a PA and then I spent a little bit of time in Atlanta and then come here and it's like you see all these shifts in this progressivism rising everywhere else and you're just like what the fuck it's still just a bunch of dudes yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know everybody seems relatively well-meaning but it's still just a bunch of dudes I also feel okay so this is going to be the sensitive area that I'm yeah. going to probably listen to later is It is still a thing that is on my radar after 15, 17 years in the production world that I have to still be aware that there will be men that I will work with, new teams, um, who are not interested in listening to the female voices, the women voices on the team, or are less interested, I should say. So... Do I have this little meter for that internally? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, does, does it happen? It happens. Is it frustrating? It's enormously frustrating, especially when the content is geared for an audience of women or it's a, it's a story about women in some capacity to have, number one, like fewer f- women on the team and then for, those, for us not to be able to, to, to be heard is super frustrating. Um, and at that's at that point where I may like these people personally, but I'm not going to want to work together again. Yeah, because like, it's just... I can make that distinction. It's stupid stress, you know, like knowing that you're not getting listened to and knowing that you've got a good idea and it's not getting life. 
It's, 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 just, it's stupid. It's stupid, and it's a waste of it's a waste of my energy. Ah, right? that sucks. It still exists, and I hate yeah. to say that it does, but it does. And and it's and it's not even something personal to those guys. Like it's like sometimes sometimes they're really, I don't think aware. I don't want to make excuses for anybody. Maybe it has to do with ego. Maybe it has to do with with a lack of awareness. Um, I don't know. Maybe they're caught up in the creative process. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't. I don't want to assign why because it's not my why to fill out. It's his. And it's his work to do. All I know on my end is I'm aware of it. My barometer goes off. And I think to myself, if I like the guy, you're a nice guy. It's too bad. I don't think I'll work with you again. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, even if it's even if it's just like, you know, subconscious or whatever, the outcome's still the same. The outcome is still there. The right. fart's still in the room. Right. <laughs> right. And it's yeah. like, I wish you well and good luck on your journey. But, like, our creative paths don't have to cross. Yeah. Again, and that's and that's okay, right? Not everybody is meant to work together. Creative, creative uh, collaboration is it's messy and wonderful, <laughs> and it's its own little uh, wonderful relationship, and and it doesn't always it's not always between two people, right? Right, right. So, for sure. Yeah. 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 No, that's funny. It's messy is such a polite way of putting the process. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so so when you're going to places like India and and all over the planet for for some of your producing work, mm-hmm. do you work with local production crews? Do you bring your people from the US with you like both? both? I do both. Um um I'm always going to want to take the DP that I know, that mm-hmm. I trust, right? He and he's always going to want to take his AC. Like <laughs> that's the thing. You know, he wants his go-to person, I want my go-to person. Um, do I, I what I will hire locally is I will always hire a local field producer. Somebody who knows where we are intimately well, who can navigate the team well, who can help us just logistically move. Um, who has good connections, who has great people skills and can help us to book the interviews and, and, and locations or whatever with ease. Mm-hmm. You know, someone who, there's just a skill, there's a people skill there um, who can sort of anticipate. But it's not about lifting the whole production to the other place. It's being really strategic about it. Personally, no. I like to hire locals. I think it ingratiates the team to the country. I think the whole production takes on a much more kind of local... Flair, you know, we're not locals, half of us or 75% of us, but that 25% or 30% that I can hire locally, I want to. I want a local field producer. I want a local sound person. Um, I'd like some local PAs. I like that. I like to, to bring those two teams together, um, especially if, you know, like in the case of, and what, when I, what I'm envisioning in my brain is we had a shoot in Egypt for one of the documentaries I was working on when I was in L.A., and it was pre-revolution, and then we went back post-revolution. And we really needed the Egyptians on our team to help us navigate, number one, safely. Number two, to gain trust of the um, opposition individuals who were already under like duress and are risking life and limb to overthrow, um, to overthrow their governments. This was Mubarak's government? This was Mubarak's, okay. yes. So for them to take on an American camera crew, like, you know, is a huge Well, and it's not like we've got a history of being unbiased and fair, you know? Right. Exactly. <laughs> so there's a huge trust factor. So that field producer, that team, they're facilitating. As much as we're trying to get to build a relationship, that team can make it or break it, right? Because anybody who's under duress and that we want to film with is not going to take on anybody 
from their own country who's going to bring more harm potentially to their cause. So there's an interesting dynamic there. And we're not going to navigate safely without our local mm-hmm. team members. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just the reality of it. You know, I was in a shoot in Venezuela, and we absolutely needed Venezuelans on our team. Absolutely, because there is so much anti-American sentiment there um, that I don't think that we would have safely navigated if we had not had some locals on the team. Now, in those kind of, I mean, Venezuela is certainly a bit more extreme, but I mean, in any of those types of situations, are you guys just flying in with your passports and kind of playing it low key? Or are you actually interfacing with the government saying, hey, we are here doing this work? Depends on the country. It depends on the country. It depends on its status of government. It depends on um, whether or not, because very often if you alert people that you're coming to do a piece on government, they're going to assign a government official to be with you 12 hours a day and to navigate with you and tell you what you can and can't film. Yeah, yeah. So if you really want to get down to it and film with opposition candidates or opposition, you know, student movement leaders, you can't have the government representative with you. So you have to, you know. I'm just here for fun, man. Yeah. Right. Or <laughs> I'm here to shoot a commercial about tourism, right? Yeah, There's yeah, lots yeah, of ways yeah. That's you can, true. You can navigate. Do you fly with equipment or do you rent locally? Uh, both. Both. Yeah. Depends on what we can get locally and trust that it's going to work, you know, trust the whoever's mm-hmm. going to get to us. Yeah. That's fascinating, because man, like, I mean, we we've hung out every once in a while at meetup groups or sure. co- at, at, at hangouts and things, and I had no idea about all this work that you were doing. It's just, like, oh, hey, there's Amy, what's up? And, and and you know, you say you would produce, and it's just like, oh, okay, you know, like we're all in Austin. It's like we we hang out in our houses, we bum around downtown, get co- uh, coffee and tacos, and. You're talking about all this like global adventuring. This is amazing. Um, I'm not even sure if I've got great questions for it because it's so far outside of my scope. Um, and it's not every project. Like, no, this is just okay. a few and far between. You know, this is like maybe one project a year, maybe. But right? it's the exciting stuff. It's the really amazing I mean, stuff. I love this yeah. stuff too. But then I've, you know, I can work on a project, and I'm just at the age where <clears throat> like, it doesn't even have to be a glamorous project. But if I like the people I'm working with, I will happily show up to work every day with a cup of coffee in hand and just have fun. Yeah. Because that's what I think about it. As my job is just so much fun. If if I'm in a team that I really enjoy, going to work is like summer camp, right? You go, you joke, you have a great time, you create some some content for video, and yes, yeah, some days it feels like work, but a lot of days you feel like you're having a great time, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's the ideal situation. That's the ideal chemistry for me. Yeah, yeah, so you're showing up with your own little tribe, your own little community of people doing amazing things. Right. And finding a new person for that tribe is, you know, a gift. And, and that, um, you know, I would say that my 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 home team tribe is still in L.A. and I'm, I'm still finding my tribe here. And, you know, I think I've been in Austin now for almost four years. Four years in March, actually. <laughs> and I have worked for just a few production companies locally, um, one being Emergent Order, and I'm super wonderful good friends with Taryn Fogel over there. She is, she is, she's the person I go to when I when I need to download about a project and I'm frustrated about something or I need to talk about something. It was having another woman producer mm-hmm. is so valuable to me. Um, so I've done a little work with them. I've done a little work with Texas Crew Productions, um, but I haven't worked that much with that many local people. Um, I still work a lot with my contacts out of LA and out of New York, and and I love those folks. But I also want to find my Austin tribe, so I'm still kind of 
zeroing down into my my creative tribe here yeah i mean the the folks that i found here it's either you kind of get up into the advertising scene which is in my experience a really weird beast it's like the theater kids it's like they're 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 very they're very wrapped up in in the identity of what they're doing and they're very excited about it and they're really excited that their paychecks are a little bit larger than most other creative (laughs) people and then there's all of this validation that comes from that there's this really big barrier of entry so like all of them are really nice people but it's like oh we're in this space and you're not you know there's pedigree with it that's and interesting because I was under the impression, and maybe I'm wrong. You tell me. You've been I here don't far know. longer. Is... I, I, five. I've five. five years. Okay, yeah, so, five so years. not really. I feel like Austin is more fluid. I feel like Austin. So in LA, you are advertising, you are TV, you are film, you have a track, right? You are narrative, you are documentary, you are on a track, and you maybe aren't able to, to deviate too much off your track. Whereas I always kind of got the impression from Austin that like you could navigate with your skill set between all those realms pretty easily because let's be honest, anybody who says the skills don't translate it's either doesn't shit. know production yeah. or is 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 insecure about something, right? Because those skills do in fact, as someone who navigates all of those, the skills translate. Yeah, they translate just fine. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean I, I'm not entirely sure because when my my experience was like I, I, I came out of a uh, school in the Midwest and I went to Chicago in like 2011 mm-hmm. and I was a babe in the woods and just very poorly prepared. So I didn't have a portfolio. I didn't have a network. I didn't have a reel. I barely had put together a resume. I didn't think I'd ever have to work with a spreadsheet for the rest of my life. Uh-huh. You know, just, you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so like I was, I was not ready. And so I really, I did, I did poorly in Chicago for many years and then we moved here and life got better. But in my experience being here that there's some degree of fluidity, uh, especially in the post-production scene where like the creative design stuff, I mean, it's really just, do you understand the tool? Yes, you know, um, but I've had difficulty. It's like when you're either in film or you're in commercial and that line seems to still be relatively strong from, because the folks that I know, like Dane, who does television work, mm-hmm. um, his editorial process is very, very different from mine because he's part of a team. Yeah. He has producers and directors that won't let him steer too far in and out of the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way that Avid is being handled in that larger scope pipeline is really, really different from somebody who will hand me like an email with like a link to a Google Doc that's like a third of a creative brief, yeah. if that, right. and said, hey, you know, you can download this Canon 5D footage and make a video for us and we'll pay you you know we'll pay you your rate and you'll you're not going to be mad about it right. but like that is such a fundamentally different process and workflow for being an editor who has to fill in all of these missing steps right. you know um that's and I, interesting that you were just and i think that's the divide that that keeps those two worlds separated is can you be given a little bit of nothing and make a one shot or can you work within this thing tamp your own ego down and just produce i guess my question to you on your end is where is the production team like where are you brought in are you brought in so late in the project that you're literally handed here's what we've shot you have to make something out of this it's completely ad hoc and it's a it's a it's a fucking shit show you know just to be really direct about it um you know and it'll be either because i mean 
I've been in the small boutique land for a while, so it'll be a lot of the people that are trying to figure out how to build their creative business at the same time that they're, they're still trying to figure out how to bring money in on the regular. And I certainly fit that role myself. And it, it it's like you say yes before you know what you said yes to. Okay. <laughs> and then and then you're talking with your clients about it and you're recognizing that, that maybe they, as their own local business, are not necessarily at a step where they're ready for advertising. Uh-huh. But you, you want to take that check. They walked in your door. You're excited about this branding opportunity, so you're going to get involved, and you're going to you're you're going to do the best work that you can. So who, like who shoots the up? footage? Who kind of produces? Oh it? Who yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, for us, it would either be that we, we had we had one production team that we partnered with really regularly, uh, 360 Studios in town. So so Shaggy would either bring out somebody that he knew on the regular, or Drew would shoot it, mm-hmm. and then if we couldn't squeeze the budget for them to do it. I'd use my DSLR or my phone, mm-hmm. and I would film it myself. And yeah. you know, uh, it was it was great as a personal journey, mm-hmm. not a gr- not a good way to build a business, uh, uh, because you know I learned how to do all of these things. I I got a better camera eye for it, and we found some efficiencies in in how to do that production process. But I mean, you just need more brains than than like three people on a on a project at any given time because yeah. you're not seeing everything. And you also can't juggle more than one project at a time. There's not sort of that facility feast of famine life. feast famine feast right. famine it's like yeah. we're in post here so another person should be in in shooting another show like there should be this flow of work coming and there's not enough probably well yeah i mean and and, and the people that i would uh, i was doing doing this stuff in and around would be these really tiny businesses mm-hmm. that i mean none of us went to like and, and I'm, I'm not going to speak too too heavy for everyone else but just you know talking over beers and stuff mm-hmm. i don't know a single person that went to business school that 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 runs their little creative business. They went to film school and you or or, or fine arts programs. I'm going to give a shout out to somebody here. Uh, Ashlyn Viscozzi has been running Creatives Meet Business for. Yeah, she's now? great. She's fantastic, and she is in fact so committed. Not number one to introducing all the creatives in town, but to like also in strengthening the business skills of all of us one to rent to, to run our own businesses right because we're all our own little entities those of us who are freelance so i think that's part of it but i mean those skills apply i think she is so committed to helping creatives to figure out and learn the business side of things to become you know completely successfully professional successful professionally um, and not be totally intimidated or behind the curve on the business side of things. So I'm going to refer all of you to Ashland. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, it's, I, I mean, it, like, so I was supposed to be, I, like, I, the, the thing that makes me the most money is video editing, even though I've got a variety of other skills that I get paid for. Yeah. That's the one that makes me the most money, and I've been doing it for, like, eight years. I don't have a standard rate. Like, that's because of how messy things are in Austin. You know, it's just like, well, what are you expecting to pay on your budget for, for a video editing? And then and then we'll kind of do it at, because... So who are you asking that question to? Who, who hires you? So what will happen is that uh, through... I will not have an opportunity to have, a, have a, a proper prospecting or onboarding meeting with a potential client. Typically what will happen is through social media, my name will get recommended one way or the other and then i'll send in uh, i'll send a quick message out who has this like i mean at the beginning of the day like you start with a budget that's the very first thing i do i start with a budget where is my money where is the budget all the money all the dollars going i assign each dollar a little like marching order 
and I know what each crew member is to be paid. I know what the editor is going to be paid. There's a contingency. There's buffers just in case. There's emergency funds, whatever. But like you start with, you I don't start th- with a spreadsheet. In, in, in I, I would, I have never been given the impression that much consideration has gone into it. I'm shocked by that. Yeah, right? I'm shocked <laughs> Because what will happen is that somebody will reach out and say, hey, I need a video editor. Mm-hmm. Okay, hi, I'm a video editor. What do you have going on? What's your project? Yeah. And then they'll give a description of the project. And I go, well, that's really interesting. You know, like, like how, how do you envision it? Can you, can you show me some comparisons? So we know, are we talking about this car going down a road? Is there, like, explosions and, like, VFX? <laughs> or is it just the car going down a road? You know, right. what's the magnitude that we're talking about? And get a sense of that and go, okay, that's pretty reasonable. I've got a lot of things that kind of work in that realm. Here, let me send you some stuff. And then invariably somewhere in there, somebody will go, what's your rate? And it doesn't matter the number that's said, it's always wrong. It's never the correct number. It's either too high or it's too low. Well, rarely is it too low, but it's almost always too high. Uh And so there's instant downward pressure to undercut yourself just to get the job. So it'll be like, well, you know, I'm trying to aim for $100 uh, an hour for for rate as much as I'm capable of doing. And I have some clients that I've worked with long enough that they get it. They think they see the value and they pay for it. Sure. For a lot of people that don't know me, oh, that's too high. If you want to work on that project, you've got to bring it down. And I'll go, well, so what's your post-production budget? What do you have allocated for editing? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I just have I just have five grand for the whole thing. And then it's like now I have to sit here in this position and go, do I want to work right now? Yeah. Do I not want to work yeah, because this true. sounds like a shit show? Right. Or, you know, like, then you start to get into, like, the roll of the dice on whether or not do I take this thing that's now starting to look kind of bad, mm-hmm. poorly thought out, or do I not work? Right. You know, and... And do you sort of <laughs> negotiate in terms of, like, how many hours you'll put into something that is is could potentially be a shit show, that there's not a lot of funds? Well, I came up during the recession, so it, well, you didn't have a whole lot of leverage. And I think mm-hmm. that that's still colors a lot of the work that I do mm-hmm. so a lot of times it's working it till completion and I've I've I don't think I've ever said the money the money's out fuck you I think I've always worked for free to finish things oh, and stop it. yeah stop it yeah I think I'm gonna stop because I think in the end, I've talked to a couple friends that yeah do that now mm-hmm. and it doesn't seem like the, the the pain is as bad as I have imagined it is I, because then what happens is your plate is full and the opportunity for something else to come that is gonna pay pay you for your time is is, is missed potentially mm-hmm. right because you're already you're busy so and you're not therefore available to go find that work well, and life is a little bit more stable right now. The past couple of years were really crazy, especially when I was running running the business and I had some other people with me, and I still didn't know what I was doing as far as getting into these client relationships. I was still very much, oh, I'll just say yes to everything because we need cash flow. Mm-hmm. We need cash flow so bad. Mm-hmm. And now that I've taken a step back, I'm, I'm much more prone to saying no. I also went and spent some time with the sales organization and got a lot of knowledge on, on yeah. things. I actually think... There's some psychology behind it because if you are willing to lower your rate, I mean, I can be flexible with my rate to some degree, right? Especially mm-hmm. with a new client because I want to be like, hey, let's establish a new relationship. But then, but I won't go too far with it because the psychology I think behind it is if, if the company is paying you your rate to bring your specialized expertise 
there's a psychology of of like of of I don't want to say respect, but there's a, a value. They're placing mm-hmm, a value mm-hmm. on you as a professional. It's like, okay, we're paying him his going rate. Maybe it's a little higher than the rest of the guys or gals, but clearly he brings something to the table that is particularly special and 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 we feel confident, so confident in what we're doing moving forward with him that we're not going to have to clean up a mess that, you know, pass it on to somebody else. Like, right, no right. one's going to come on, in on the back end and, and give us any curveballs. Because that can happen, right? You can hire someone who doesn't really know what they're doing for a very low rate and then have to hire somebody afterwards to clean up the mess because, you know, exhibit A. I've been hired to clean up the mess before, right, yeah. Right. That does, <laughs> I've been on that I, side. I've heard yeah. instances like that. I, I'm, I'm just sort of still still seeing reeling that there's not a, a and maybe there is a budget and they're just not telling you but there should always oh yeah that's certain that's certainly possible and i mean i think i think a big chunk of my career was spent kind of in this permanent panic state of of working enough so i could still at least say that i'm not unemployed i i, I am a working creative professional like it, even if i'm not doing something in this moment I'm working in the industry, and then I woke up one day and it was like 10 years. And I was like, oh, okay, you're there. You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> um, and I, I think that's part of what I've been going through right now is because, like, so when I worked at the sales organization, it was like an eight-week run, and I was deeply embedded with their process, and they were really transparent and shared a whole lot. And I learned a lot more about how people that have to do, like, high-churn sales will identify somebody as a prospective mm-hmm. purchaser and they move them through multiple meetings and qualification processes to get them to the place where yeah. they'll actually make a decision. And then the guy that runs the company was like, yeah, man, and you can close $50,000 deals over the phone. And it's just yeah. like, fuck, I'm doing it all wrong. <laughs> I'm doing it all wrong to not only know that that process exists, mm-hmm. but it works at a magnitude of 50 grand and higher. Like, mm-hmm. just, I, I, I was calibrated at such a smaller no. pie share than yeah. any of that before. So since learning that, it's been a lot more of... So do you now, um, do you go after clients and pitch projects to them as... I haven't gotten that far yet. Okay. Um, I, mostly because I'm not sure what makes a good pitch yet. I've, I've got ideas that I think would be cool, but I mean, come on, everybody's got an idea. you yeah. know. So, but it's less about your ideas and more like making their ideas come to fruition, right? right. Is it, are they ready to make video content? Do they value it? Can they, are they, do they want a presence on social media that maybe doesn't exist now? Um, it's more about their marketing strategy and how you can help them bring it to life. Right, it's less right. to do with your creative vision, and it's more about theirs. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think also another big part of it is that, that like, who I decide I want to kind of scoot up alongside and even talk about uh, any type of creative prospective work is way more strategic than it used to be. You know, I'll spend a lot more time researching organizations or individuals um, that seem like they would be like super cool to work with. And then I'm much more willing to go like, well, this might be like a six month conversation before we feel comfortable enough. Right. You know, and and, and that's a very, very different approach than what I was doing even like six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, (laughs) you know, before the new year. But good for you for like, you know, taking it, turning the, looking at it from a different perspective and saying, oh, I'm, I'm going to hit this problem from a different angle, from not an editor's perspective, but yeah. actually a producer's. Let's, let's be honest. Like, prospecting clients is exactly what producers do. Like, who who might fund this project? Who is the person who would be interested in this creative content? Um, or in the case of, like, you know, a company and wanting a commercial or wanting some sort of uh, video content, like, who's on the precipice of, of, 
of wanting to market themselves in a different way. Right. Like whose mom and pop or small company is on the pivotal rise where, you know, actually creating, who has the budget to create all this content that, that hasn't yet. Mm -hmm. Or maybe is unhappy with a person who's created it. Maybe there's some sort of stagnation happening and they want a different creative, you know, outlook to it. Who knows? Right, right. I like that level of, that's to me takes a level of like psychology and empathy. So you can imagine in my background that that's fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, and especially you coming from journalism, the first thing I've had, it was like, oh, so you understand research. Like, like right away, you know. And I I, I understand the value of a writer. mm -hmm. I also understand the value of a budget. Like I just, that's, I mean, the thing is, is like, we don't get to just do the fun parts. We have to do the parts that are, right? Like sitting there with the budget is, is not super fun. Although it can be fun, let's be honest. It can be. <laughs> it can be fun. But it, it's yeah. just like, I think that's where things get lost is you have to be able to do the number side of it. You have to do the business side of it. You have to do your own marketing. You have to be willing to be interviewed on podcasts. Like, you have <laughs> yeah, to be yeah. willing to talk to people. Yeah, go to the networking events. You have to be willing to do these things um, who are maybe outside your normative box. Uh, would I just love to be in the field and in the edit bay all the time and writing scripts? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, but that's not my reality. Yeah, no, and I think I, I you know, because because I, I was really I was really tainted by coming out of art school and being able to do a lot of experimental film where nobody knew what of everyone else like like it was all made up. Like yes, fine art has a vernacular and has a history, but but this was like we were still working with mini DV tapes in college and Final Cut Seven. Sure. So like the the SD card had just ariv- arisen. After Effects was still young enough as a program that if you could do anything with it, anything with it, it's experimental art. Like, it, it would be the, like the most basic effects you could apply with like modest technique. And people would be like, oh, well, this is amazing, just because it was different and kind of new. So I think that that really skewed, like, by the time I got into industry, it's like, oh, wait, this isn't, no. Well, like, what I did in, in like, a little Midwestern school has no, no bearing on, <laughs> on how this actually works. <laughs> so, um, I mean, just, like, uh, uh, interview podcast stuff, I've asked a lot of folks about, like, like the work-life balance and, and, and kind of keeping sane within the creative mm-hmm. industries. Mm-hmm. Like, when I'm not working personally... I get super anxious. You're not making money. You're not figuring things sure. out. You're like, like the bank account's just ticking down and I'm just sitting there. Yeah. And it's very difficult for me to cope with downtime. Okay. Like, it, what, what, what is your version of that between projects? I'm going to have a super nerdy answer for you. Yeah. It, um, and it goes back to, it goes back to numbers. I am a hyper budgeter. I budget, like every weekend I will look, I budget. Like the way that I budget a show, I budget my life. So I always have, um, I always have several. So I have two budgets. I have my business budget and I have my personal budget, and both of them have chunks of money for those downtimes. So mm-hmm. that I'm not touching my savings line. I'm touching my like, my like uh, cushion. Mm-hmm. I've got two cushions that I've built in budgetarily. So it's like if one dwindles, I've got the other one, and by then I should be working because this, you know, this is six months and this is six months, and I'm never out of work for a year. So I'm a. This goes back to I guess line producing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am a budgeter. I I do. I I have a I use, 
you need a budget, I look at my budget every weekend. I assign my dollars at the beginning of the month, and at the end of the month, I see where everything went. How, how between like because you 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 had talked a little bit about like sometimes a project will last like I, I you know maybe upwards of two years or something like that. But if most of them are are many months long. When one of those ends, is it like I take three days and I'm right back in the on the next one? How? For me, yeah, I would happily jump right in. I have a partner, Brooks, who is not in production, and he hates it when I do that. He's like, "Can you take a week or two? Can we enjoy? Can I? Can we take a quick little trip somewhere?" He loves to travel, so I have to keep, like you said, the balance in mm-hmm. mind. Um, I have to, you know. I have to, to listen to my, you know, to him. I, I, I have to take time for us, right? Because some, some projects are super consuming and some of them are, I'm working out of my home office. Yeah. So the ones I'm out of my home office, I think he's like, okay, fine, great. I, we spend lots of time together. But the ones where I'm traveling a lot or I'm gone or I'm out on, the, you know, on set or I'm in the edit bay for, you know, eight, ten hours a day, I have to try to be considerate that, you know, if I rock on a Friday, let's not start project number two on Monday. <laughs> yeah. So. Actually, it's funny because my wife, you know, we've been together for a really long time and she's been around me when I've been doing this work for a really long time. But there's still an element of that that I'm very comfortable, uh, almost to the point of it being a fault, that if, if left to my own devices and it's and being left to my own devices in the past, I'll work 80 hours a week and not bat an eye. Oh, wow. You know, I'll, I'll just I'll just sit in front of whatever needs to move through the computer, sure. whether it's sending emails or, or design work or editorial. I'm just like, oh, this is fun. Like, I'm, it's, I'm, I'm solving puzzles. I'm learning things. Mm-hmm. I've, I've got a mindfulness about, like, if I do something in a routine, there's always a little chance to get better somewhere in that. Yeah. So, like, I, I, can, I can be stimulated by the work really easily. And yeah, I've got that pressure going, get the fuck away from the computer and you have children come say hello to people. And I love my family and I'm, and I'm better about it. But there's, there's that side of me that's like just left by myself. I would only do the job. Me too. I'm with you. Like we will wrap this and I will go and try to steal half an hour or an hour on my computer and just knock out a few emails. (laughs) I love, I love to take an hour or two on a Sunday and just sort of kick some stuff off my plate before Monday morning. So then on Monday, I'm not like, oh, okay, I have all these things to do first thing in the day. I like to sort of kick some things off my plate mm-hmm. on a Sunday evening. Like when the Oscars are on tonight, I'm probably going to be like sending out emails, like kind of double timing it because that I just how I prefer to kick off my week. Like just with like five things ticked off my list. At least my email, stuff I can just sit on my computer and do. And just oh, totally. Get them off, get them off my plate. Um, I'm the same way, like, and that's the good and the bad of being a freelancer, right? You end up having a lot of flexibility, but if given some downtime, am I going to pick up a book or am I going to pick up my laptop and start working on something? And and I have those dialogues in my head. And during the day, I'll pick up my laptop, and if I'm, you know, it's bedtime, I'll try to pick up a book instead. But yeah, I have to, and it is it is a conversation piece in our house. It's like. Okay, when are we planning our next excursion? Are yeah, we yeah. Going camping? Like, let's take a weekend, um, in, in an enchanted walk or something. Like, he's very good at going like red flag, red flag. Too much work. Too much work. You know, come yeah. back down. Come back down. Yeah, it it, it took my children. It yeah. took it took the kids doing it because it'll be my daughter every you know, and she's seven right now, 
and and my son is a little bit younger, but it, but it's her voice that's leading the way. So it'll be, it'll be like Saturday morning, and I'll just start to settle down. Like like I'm drinking my co- or, or coffee, and and my wife is uh, either like getting some extra sleep in or doing something, sure. and she'll just, and I'm just like okay, I'm just gonna kind of do something in Photoshop. So what are we doing today, Dad? Where are we going? It's like, oh, that's right. It's not about me anymore. Okay. It's <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, where are we going? Yes. And it's actually good yeah. for your brain. It is. It is. You come back to your work differently, I'm sure. Yeah, and and I, I, I do a lot of that when I'm talking with people that are younger in the industry. It's like I, I've kind of gotten in my own ways, and I feel comfortable about the choices I've made. But I'm always reminding people. It's like the brain, it's, it's like going to the gym. You can blow out your muscles exercising. Your brain's the same way. you got to pace it. you got to manage it. Right, and also, like, you go into the world and you just sort of, like, you get all that off your brain and you come back to your creative endeavors with a, you know, fresh set of eyes. Like, I'll come back and read something I wrote and be like, woohoo, let's start again. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Or it's even just, you know, it's like you can't, you know, and I'm not a writer, but it's like you can't, you can't pull together good stories unless you're living a good life. I think that's true. You know, if if you're just in your house surfing the web all the time. It's hard to to pull threads together because it's not it's not actually experience. And also, I think you just get so stuck in your head. You just get so stuck in your thoughts. That's another thing. I overthink fucking everything <laughs> because it's so easy to just be like expressing yourself through fingers on the computer and not realize you're not bouncing this off of somebody. Yeah, I mean, you're you're sure you're being productive. You're exchanging messages but it's not the same as that the the body language and the physical presence conversation of really working through an idea yeah no i agree yeah. with that i totally agree with that um i mean freelance is i mean you said it it's there's stress in the work there's more stress between the projects i think all of us experience that to some degree um i have tried really hard especially now being in austin to manage that better than i did when I was in LA and in Chicago, I went to Chicago. I was I was with a company, so I, kn- I didn't know that stress. If yeah. anything, I had the fear of going freelance. Um, I was, you know, as a full time employee, I was producing. I was, you know, um, working for a company with predominantly people I really, really liked and really enjoyed. And most of the content, not all of it, but most of it, I was enjoying. And then I was terrified of going freelance, but I could only see my career advancing in probably New York or LA at that point. And, you know, I was, like, in my latter 20s, maybe early 30s, and and I knew I was going to one of the coasts, and I just picked the warmer of the two. There was really no real preference. Yeah. Um, do I regret? Sometimes I regret not going to New York because I just, I do love New York, and, and maybe I would have stuck it out there longer. You know, I was in L.A. for, I think, six, six plus years, and, and loved it for what it was. But it was it was a place to just do the work. Like my whole life was sort of consumed by the work. My friends were in the business. They were mm-hmm. business friends mm-hmm. that I had worked with that I liked, and we had become friends. And it was just the work was going to swallow me whole. And yeah. so Austin was a place that I came to one to be closer to family and my like best circle of friends, and and to like to find like a good quality of life and build a life for myself ideally if i can you know if i stay and then cuz he's from california ironically <laughs> so and and see how that how that if i can create some better balance in my in my 40s yeah yeah <laughs> so. yeah cuz uh, i i have friends that went to 
Los Angeles. You know, I got out of school and I went to Chicago kind of directionless and they were smarter than me and put together their portfolios a little bit more intelligently and went out to Los Angeles. And I think amongst that cohort, there's still six or seven that are out there that are at various stages of success. Mm -hmm. But I think the, the kind of the universal truth is what you just said. The work just like the city and the work just swallowed them. Well, like, the whole city, they, they live and breathe it now. Totally. Yeah. Yes. The whole city, most people in the city work in the industry. So once you come as a, and I moved there with not knowing maybe but two people, um, all of whom work in production. It's like everything, it's your lines between personal and, and professional are completely blurry for better or for worse. Could I totally thrive in that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I, you know, saw 40 approaching and, um, and everybody that I loved the most in the world lived here. Uh, family, friends, best friends, old-time friends, cousins. And I was like, all right, self, like, go to where your people are and, and see if you can sustain yourself. And I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure when I first came. It was a huge leap of faith to move here as a freelance producer. And it's worked out okay, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got here in 2014. And and it was like, like we were in Chicago. And... It was, my wife was doing, was a high school teacher in the South Side. We had two tiny babies and she was working in part of the community district that was under serious stress from politics, lack of funding, gang violence, uh, the, the difference between public schools and charter schools. South Side, where South Side? Uh, 51st Street, Archer Heights. Okay. Yeah. All yeah. Right. So she was down there a little bit. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, enough that she was, she, she got to see another version of Chicago versus where we were living more centrally. You know, um, it was like that her students had a very different relationship with the police than we did. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that was really tough. Our, uh, every year the, 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 the rent in our flat was going up. Mm. We didn't know where our kids were going to go to school. Right. And I'm like this freelance stay at home dad slash editor. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. Like, like I, I can't, I can't thread the needle and and get in and of all people Russ Hull down here in Austin knew a friend of mine from college and was like Final Cut 10 just shit the bed and we are desperate for premiere editors for South by Southwest I'm so far removed I don't even know who you are but would you fly from Chicago and edit for us we have an empty seat and we need people that's awesome that's great here um, I am. Right. Friend of a friend. Right? Yeah. It all comes down yeah. to who and, you know. And in the mix of all of that time, I had tried to take a road trip to California to go and work out there because it's like, it's time. I finally got my spouse on board with the idea of going out west because she's from Minnesota. She didn't want to leave the Midwest. And I try and drive out to California. There's a giant blizzard that happens. Yeah, so my timeline's out of order. I, I try and go to California first. There's a giant blizzard. One of my friends is like, dude, kick through Austin. Just come south. Don't go through Kansas. You, you got to visit anyway. I do. The people that are in L.A. are like, oh, sorry, man. Like, I, I thought I had a bed for you, but I don't. Like, just flaked. Okay. You know, no big deal. It flaked. Shocking. And, <laughs> right. And then I call up somebody where uh, they had casually, off of a one-off gig from the Midwest, said, if you can show up in L.A., I can get you a PA job. So I contacted that person. It's like, my housing fell through, but if I get out there, is there still a line of work? And he was nice enough, but it was basically, you already sound too unstable, no. Okay. 
<laughs> so it's like, okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I'm hanging out in Austin. My friend is just like, dude, you know what? I've got a spare bedroom. You can stay here for like a month. Give me a second. I'm going to call somebody. Let me see what I can do. And I had a PA gig to help go shoot a small commercial, a yoga studio. I mean, it was yeah. like 150 bucks. You know, it was nothing. So, but it was it was so stark, the difference in like 24 hours yeah. of being able to have people just go, let me see what I can do for you versus, sorry, man, not going to work. Right. You know, right. it's like, and then I got the call about South by Southwest. I was like, hold on, I'm going to grab the family. <laughs> nice. So, but being from, from that to now, it has still felt like this giant fucking leap of faith because the industry is so much smaller here than everywhere else. Yeah. And then you see like Atlanta growing and it's like, fuck, why didn't I go to Atlanta? You know, but this is a great place to live. I don't fight the city, you know, like. For, for years, my commute was seven minutes. Oh, jeez, that's nice. You know, the, the office that I was working at in my kids' elementary school were all like this, like, mile-and-a-half triangle from each other. Oh, that's great. Over on, on the east side. You know, it's like you well, can't... Well, that doesn't happen in L.A. You, it doesn't happen in L.A., it doesn't happen in Chicago, it doesn't happen... No. It doesn't happen fucking anywhere. That's true. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, and I was working... I did a college internship in Atlanta with Turner and where I lived versus the Turner offices... It was still like 45 minutes and I was still inside of the city. Like all those small things matter so much more now. I had a moment with Atlanta, like a a brief, but it was like straight out of J school. CNN was trying to recruit me as like into their writing program. And I just couldn't, it just didn't feel like the spot for me. It just didn't. I don't know. I was there. I look at it and there's a lot of work there, but I feel like it's okay. I was there for a summer in 2009 and I was not impressed with the city. Oh, really? Uh, it, it, it didn't, like you, it just didn't, you know, I was working at Adult Swim, which was like like the apex. This was like the coolest place I could be uh-huh. for, for myself. And I was still like, yeah, but Atlanta kind of sucks. And now 10 years later, it's great. But like back then, it just didn't do anything for me. I just didn't, I didn't see myself in a, in a news, in the news environment in the long term. It just was not the right path for me. No. That time, it was a really hard thing to walk away from, though. It was, that was probably like one of those like, I think everybody in my life was like, hey, dummy, go write for CNN. Go see their writing program. They are re- recruiting you. They are bringing you in from, straight from school. And I was just like, I don't think so. And that, that was a really one of those like probably defining moments um, that, anyway, <laughs> I was just like, I was like, I just, just, you know, when you know when something's not, not right for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But boy, did I feel like a jackass writing that email saying, thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> so... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, CNN is one of those hard ones. I, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I don't have a this journalism when background. This was first came out with 24-hour news. Okay. This was like... When it was hotter. Yeah. When it was hotter. It was a different era for news. It was like they were just about to go into the 24 news cycle, which I think ultimately is what's killed our media, but that's a whole other story. Yeah, I was going to say, like, CNN today feels more like improv theater than journalism. I agree. But that's still when the reporters were like... You know, I can't remember their names, but they, they, they still had a lot of credibility. They were less partisan. Um, there was, um, it was it a business? It was a business. But it was like you didn't have to be some supermodel, male or female, to be on air. Like, it was just sort of a different level of, of journalistic integrity. Or at least, at that point, that's how I perceived them. Mm-hmm. But still, wasn't the right path for me. It yeah. just wasn't the right path for me. Yeah. So, J School was great. But it was just a leaping off point. Anyway, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for talking with us.
Well, thank you for Us, chatting me, with me. me. <laughs> thank you for chatting with me. I'm so sorry about the you know, chickens and the leaf blower. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that, you know, it, it's a lovely back porch, and that just comes with the territory. You know, this is great. I, I thought no, the chickens you. were charming. The leaf blower, not so much. Oh, that's okay. Like, on, on one of the episodes, it's like, I've just got Kagan munching on fries. <laughs> <laughs> Going through it. I, I, it's fine. That's a big cool. dear neighbor. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah. It is what it is. We're on a porch. Well, do you have any any websites that you like to point people to, or or social, or I mean, Dane didn't, uh, Dane didn't, but like Kagan did, Matt did, my daughter doesn't. It's whatever. <laughs> um, no, I don't have. I deliberately don't have a website. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually I wanted. Okay, so Brooks, my partner in there, he does graphic design and he does websites, and I wanted to create this website when I first when we first got together. And he was very like, I don't think that's a good idea. And because I had talked to him about the industry and he was like, why? Or I was like, why? And he was like, well, I feel like it's going to pigeonhole you. He's like, people in your industry, as you've described it, look for the exact credit on the exact type of project that they have. And they look for someone who's done that exact work, not really understanding that skills translate between Oh, that's such a good point. production mediums. And I was like, all right, score one for you. Yeah, that's (laughs) a good point. Okay. So I've not created a website deliberately. Do people ask you for your credentials? They ask for my credits list, and I happily provide, I have a, you know, a credits list. You know, I just kind of have it organized by, by my credit on a project and, you know, the years and whatever the outlet was and the company associated with. And, and I'd rather them ask me questions about what I did for that production um, because in that conversation is probably most of the things that they're looking for for their own production. Right, right. right. So I'd rather have the conversation than have them say, oh, I'm on her website. I don't see that she's done a blah, blah, blah specifically for a blah, blah, blah client. So nope, not her. So I think his point was a valid one. So it was strategy not to create um, a website. My LinkedIn is under under progress yeah <laughs> um i do have an imdb that i try to keep up with but so so i mean the, the, ideally in my world um you know for me it's a real uh if we don't know how to already get a hold of you you don't know yeah. but also like like it's such a big deal to me when somebody makes a, recommends me for something mm-hmm. like that to me is just the biggest more than like at the end of the project and it's like it was so great to work with you let's work together again when they recommend me to somebody else like that to me is like oh my gosh like clearly that person and I work so well together that they're willing to make a recommendation of me to somebody that I don't know that to me is just sort of the biggest like Zing stars, you know, <laughs> um, and that's how I sort of measure myself. Like mm-hmm. I would rather be a word of mouth recommendation than a find on a website. Excellent. So right that's on. just my my personal, and that way I have people in common, and the likelihood of us and, and me enjoying the new person working with them is higher because they obviously know somebody that I've worked with successfully in the past. That's just my, I think my preferred medium i guess maybe that's old school (laughs) no it's fine hey you know if it it works it's not old you know right what is if it if it's work if it works it's not stupid you know Uh, (laughs) like so i old school or new school if it's if it's functioning now that it's fine when you come back in two years and we do like a a A recap or whatever yeah i'll tell you whether or not oh my god i got a website i was so wrong yeah or whatever (laughs) (laughs) don't listen to me i was so naive (laughs) well thank you so much i'm gonna i'm gonna hit the yes totally